Psalm 132, a song of degrees. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we have heard it of it at Ephrata, and we have found it in the fields of the woods. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and to thy rest thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness. Let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, and he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for my anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the good singing, the good testimonies, or the good spirit of thanksgiving in your house this evening. Lord, we thank you for this word tonight. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the truth of it. Lord, thank you that you've inspired it and preserved it to this generation. Lord, I'm glad that this word is forever settled in heaven. And God, I pray that you had settled some truths in our hearts tonight, that we might draw closer to you and have a better walk with you in these days. And what you do, we'll thank you and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm always amazed when I study any passage of Scripture, especially these psalms, at the argument among commentaries on who wrote the psalm, the background of it. At the end of the day, it's sometimes the first guess, the first look at it is usually the best way. Some people say Nehemiah wrote this psalm. Some people say Hezekiah. Uh, some even say David. I believe, though, by studying this, and I believe if you have a Rock of Ages study Bible, it gives a good study note on this. I believe that Solomon is the author of this psalm, and I, the reason I believe that is because it closely identifies with the prayer that Solomon gave at the dedication of the temple. And personally, that's the opinion I lean to. I wouldn't argue with you about that. But within this context, we see it broken up into three parts. And I wanna, if I had a title for the psalm tonight, I would want, I want to preach on from one generation to another. Or church or the house of God is good for the older generation and, and for the next generation. That is the theme of the psalm. And it teaches us something that, that God's house ought to have a priority and ought to have an emphasis. Doesn't matter if you're gray hair or if you have, have a, a young family and a young home. The house of God should be prevalent in your life. I believe this tonight. I believe you can be saved and not go to church. 
But I don't believe you can be right with God and not go to church. I don't believe you can be the Christian you need to be. I, I do not believe you can. I could be the dad and the husband uh, that I need to be if I'm not involved in the house of God. I'm speaking more of just warming a pew three times a week. I'm talking about attending and being involved and receiving the truth and the instruction from God's Word. And this psalm tonight, I believe as we studied and prayed this week, looking over this psalm, I believe that is the theme. And I want to look at the psalm in three three areas tonight. First of all, I want us to see David remembered. Verses 1 through 5, we find David is remembered. This is a prayer, this psalm. And, and as much as this is a song, the psalmist is praying here. And he emphasizes three things about David that, I, that we need to remember. First of all, he said we remember David's afflictions. Verse number 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Now, when I begin to study out this text, I thought I knew what that word affliction meant, but studying the context and studying the word, this word affliction, it, it gives the idea to be occupied with. John Phillips gave the illustration of an anxious mind. And the reason we say that is because the verse does not end with a period, but the thought continues to the next verse. So the context is David's desire to have a a place, a temple for the Lord to dwell in. David, we'll read the verse in a few moments, but David gets done. He's sitting on his throne. And he realizes that he has a house, but God does not have a house. They have the tabernacle there at Shiloh, but David wanted God to have something more. It bothered his mind. It was heavy on his soul. Apparently, the house of God meant something to David. And I want to say this tonight. It needs, it needs to mean something to you and I tonight. I know I'm preaching on Wednesday tonight to the backbone. You're here on Wednesday. You've worked all day. You've been in school. You've had a long day and you're here tonight. And I appreciate that. But I want to remind us tonight, it needs to be more than just a habit. It needs to be more than something that we do. But we need to have a passionate desire an overwhelming burden. I've got to get to the house of God. David said in Psalm 84, he said, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than well in the tents of the wicked. David's a king writing that psalm. And David said, they'll just let me hold the door to let somebody come in. I'll be a happy camper. I'll tell you tonight that reminds me that church is not about uh, your background. It's not about your position in the community. David's the king. He said, but I just want to hold that door to let somebody else get in. He was consumed with the house of God. Oh, may we have that same desire. He said in that Psalm 84, My soul, watch these words, longeth, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My flat, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. So we note David's affliction. But then we note David's affirmation. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Notice what he says. How he swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely will I, I will not come into, that, into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids. Now somebody said, preacher, what is he talking about here? Well, the words swear and vowed in this context gives the idea of some commitments and promises that David is making to God. You know, too many times we come to church and we make commitments, we make decisions, but they don't even make them out the door. 
They don't even make them back to the pew many times. But David, David is making some commitments to God. He's making some promises to God. He said, I'm not going to give sleep to my eyes or summer to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord. You know what he's saying? He said, I want to make sure that I put the house of God before I, before I please my flesh. You know what he says? He said, I'm not even going to sleep until I make sure God's got his proper place in my life. He said, I'm not going to appease my flesh until I know that God has a place of priority in my life. David's affirmation, then David's affection in verse 5. He said, until I found out a, find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. The theme of these verses is David's passion and love for God's house. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 through 3, we, we alluded to this. The Bible said, it came to pass when David sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about him from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth in curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do the, all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And First Chronicles 29 and verse number 3 he said moreover because I have set my affection to the house of God Paul tells we're to set our affection on things above but I'm telling you if you're going to set your affection on things above you ought to have some affections for the house of God I tell you now you can't make it without the church you can't make it without the house of God I tell you I want to thank God for every time I, I, I want to thank God when I walk into a dead service because there are some people that's never even been to a dead service. They don't even know what a dead service would be. But I tell you, I like Brother Philbeck says, people will live and die in this community and never sit in services like we've sat in tonight. Well, well preacher, we ain't ran the aisles and shout. No, but we've sang to him. And we've told him how much we love him. And his word is being declared. And you ought to thank the God of heaven tonight that he allowed you to be in the house of God. You could have been born anywhere else in this world, but you were born in the Bible bell where the word of God is declared amen I know we get made fun of because we got a church on every corner and most of the time Mays Jackson said you can shake a bush in the south and four Baptist preachers will fall out of it fighting about something and I agree with that amen but thank God for it because I'm glad there's enough light shining so I could get in, so my family could get in. Amen. I'm glad the gospel light was shining. David was interested in the house of God. But then, if you read, we don't read all the verses a second time, but in 1 Chronicles 29, he was not only interested, but he invested. He sent all the gold and the silver and, 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 and the nails and the things of silver and things for the brass. He done more than say that he loved the house of God. He showed it. He, he made it, and I'm not preaching about money tonight as much as I am showing something that you love something. You know, you can tell your spouse you love them all the time, but if you never do nothing for them, they're going to have a hard time believing it. That, that old, that old uh, ideology, well, preacher, I told my wife the night we got married that I loved her, and if I changed my mind, I'd let her know. Yeah, I, I bet you're a blessing to be married to. Amen. I bet you're just full of joy and, and love and laughter. Amen. I'm telling you, that a lot of people have that relationship with God. Well, I, he knows I love him. Yeah, but you ought to show it. Amen. You know, we went to the Braves game Monday night, and you don't, you don't dress down to go to a Braves game. You dress up. Amen. I got my best brave shirt. I got my World Series hat. I had, I even had brave socks on. Amen. And I was wearing pants. Nobody could see my socks. But just in case, I want everybody to know what side I was on. I want everybody to know, Lord help
help us spend some money in that clubhouse store too. Just so, so everybody know, so my boys would know that, that Daxon got my Dansby Swanson shirt and Austin and, and Sattler got my Austin Riley shirt. All right. I'm, we, why? we want to know what team we was on. I got my tomahawk too for the woke community could get rid of those. Amen. We was a chopping away. Amen. You know why we done that? Want everybody to know whose team we was pulling for. I wonder. Can the world tell you? Can the world tell whose side you're on? Amen. Amen. I could really get on something right there. I saw a local pastor at the ball game. Not here, but a local pastor in the Atlanta area that I that I know of, and. Uh, I had a hard time telling him from the other crowd. And it wasn't, I, I, it wasn't that I couldn't tell if he was a Braves fan or a Nationals fan. I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell what side he was on by the way him or his wife was dressed. Hello. Should have seen his look when I said, hey, brother. <laughs> oh, I love doing stuff like that. <laughs> I know, that's just a church kid thing. Like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm just telling you tonight, we ought to be invested and be, in, be interested, but then David got involved in it. We understand David could not build the temple. But you know what he did? He did everything he could so Solomon, when he got to that time, he could build the temple. i got to hurry. There's David remembered in verse 1 through 5, but then there's a declared responsibility. Verses 6 through 10, the scene changes from remembering David to the present responsibility of that, pre, of that present generation. Notice the reception in verse number 6. Lo, we heard of it. Heard of what? We heard of verses 1 through 5, how David was passionate for God's house. We heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the fields of the wood. In other words, word got around about how David felt about the house of God. Do other, And we've emphasized this a moment ago, but do others know that you love the house of God in both word and deed? This little word, Ephrata, has a twofold meaning. It means ash heap, and it means a place of fruitfulness. You know, I got to thinking about that, and this may be a little parenthetical thought, but that's, that's what you got to have to have church. An ash heap is a remnant of a sacrifice. Job went and sat in the ashes of yesterday's fire of them sacrifices that he made in Job 1. and Job 2, he went and sat in the ashes. So if you're going to have church, you've got to be a place of sacrifice, and, before the, and when there's sacrifice, that's when there's fruit that can be found. Effort to means a place of fruitfulness. You know why a lot of places ain't seeing fruit? Because they're not sacrificing. If a man's going to get fruit out of his garden, he's going to have to sacrifice time to plow and to plant and, and, and to watch over that. I tell you, if we want to see fruit here, there's got to be some sacrifices made. There's the reception in verse 6. There's the reaction in verse 7. He says, we will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. This is not David's generation. This is Solomon's generation. He saw, watch it now, he saw the passion that his daddy had, and David never saw the temple. He never saw it. But he saw how much David would love talking about it and how much David was investing in it. And he said, if it meant that much to the previous generation, I'm going to attend. He said, we will go into his tabernacles. He, he reacted with his attendance and he reacted with his adoration. He said, we will worship at his footstool. The reason that many, not all, but the reason that many young people want nothing to do with the house of God is because many times I see no love or passion. At the house of God. I was, I was picking on Brother Richie and 
Miss Asian, you ride the night the other night after church. I think it was last Wednesday night. You ride, come back to the sound booth while I was uploading sermons, and so that boy talked and talked and talked and talked. And I loved every second. I mean, he's just he's telling me about his new room, and he's telling me about uh, he hoping to have a baby sister and, uh, and all that good stuff. And we was just talking. And so when they was going out, I told Brother Rich, I said, "Boy, I got some preaching material for Sunday now." I said, "Your eyes been a talking to me." But I wonder if we did sit your kids down and say, "Hey, what what goes on at the house?" Boy, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I, you know, y'all just can't talk to my kids, you know. <laughs> Preacher's kids off limits. No, I'm just telling you tonight, I, I, you know why Daxon's a Braves fan? Because I'm a Braves fan. You know why he's a Georgia fan? Because he's got sense. And because I'm a Georgia fan. You know what? If, he, if I have that much influence him on worldly things, as far as things that don't matter... How much influence should I have on things that do matter? Amen. There, there's, the, there's the reaction. There's the request, verse 8, 9, and 10. They, make some, they, they, they continue this prayer. They say, Arise, O Lord, unto thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. We know that what the next generation is requesting they are desiring and asking God for some things. And, and these things, as I read them and studied them, you know, there are things I want in our church. First of all, they wanted the sovereign. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou in the ark of thy strength. You know what they said? The first thing we wanted in our church, we want God. <laughs> now, I thank God for a pretty building and nice carpet and sound system and padded pews. I, I like all that. I thank God for all of it. But I'll tell you what we need around here. We need God. Above anything else, he didn't ask for good. And I like good singing. He didn't. He didn't ask for a lot of money. Thank God for that. But the first thing on their list is, Lord, we need you. You know why? Because you can have all the nicest things in the world, but not have the Lord. You, you know that the Catholic churches and these Mormon churches and places like they have some of the most beautiful auditoriums. You you see them videos of them the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and all that them big pipe organs and all and I don't yeah, well, well, well. <laughs> see me after you I don't like organs but anyway if you're gonna play an organ you need to play it like either like you're at a black church or at a baseball game <laughs> Amen that's just me that's just me I did have a hard moment Daxton did not know the words to take me out to the ball game the other night so we had to teach him those words Amen but what I'm saying they have beautiful buildings beautiful facilities. All these things, but you know what they don't have? They don't have God. You know what we're care- we know we're big about doing? I believe all the I'll be the best looking place in town. By the way, help me out. Let's not let our pews look like the front row at Dollar General. Amen. Let's keep them clean. Amen. Don't put your bulletins down in the song book holder. Somebody say, you're just saying that because your wife cleans the church. You're exactly right. <laughs> Amen. She may clean the church, but she's not the church maid. Amen. I mean, I at least clean up my plate at the restaurant and put it all together before they even take it. Hello? Amen. So, I mean, that's moving on, all right? Amen. My spot's clean. I'm just saying my spot's. I'm good. I'm good. Keeping my spot. Amen. That's right. They wanted the sovereign. Watch this. They wanted sanctification. He said, let thy priests be clothed with righteousness. They said, we want our preacher to live right. We want some sanctification. We want it to be clean. By the way, if God's going to be there, it's going to be clean. They want to shout and let thy saints shout for joy. I don't want, they didn't want a dead church. 
I preached there before. <laughs> they wanted a church with some joy and some excitement. And I wrote this down. It's a desperation for alliteration. They wanted God's smile. Watch what he said. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Say, God, we just want your approval. I, I want you to enjoy the preaching. I want you to enjoy the singing. But at the end of the day, as long as he's approving, that's all that matters. There is, David remembered, there is a, there is a uh, declared responsibility. But then, verses 11 through 18, there is the divine response. In the latter portion of this psalm, God begins to, through the psalmist, give some promises and gives a response. We notice promise, verse 11 and 12. The Lord has sworn truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony, that shall I teach them. Their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. There's the declaration. The Lord has sworn truth unto David. He will not turn from it. He said, God's made some promises to David. His descendants of the fruit of thy body will sit upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them. And the duration, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. This is a conditional promise. In other words, God said, if you will, then I will. We understand that, that, that we have a responsibility in honoring God and doing right. And God said, and I understand God blesses me when I don't do right just because he's God and he's merciful. But there are some blessings that God will give you for doing right and for honoring God. There's the promises. Verse 13 and 14, we note the purpose. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. That's his decision. That word Zion there, we've, we've dealt with this before. It is another word for Jerusalem. Specifically the location of the temple. Now you remember the location of the temple, how it was decided? David gets lifted up in pride in 2 Samuel 24. And he numbers the people. And because he numbered the people, God, think about this mercy. God could have just snapped his fingers and pronounced judgment on David, but God gave David three choices behind door number one, door number two, door number three. Pick your judgment. That's mercy right there. You know what David said? David said, don't let me fall in the hands of my enemy. He said, let me fall in the hands of the Lord for his mercies are great. So he chooses for the Lord to send pestilence. That angel of the Lord's coming through and men are dying. And all of a sudden, God said that was enough. And that angel stopped over the threshing floor of a man by the name of Ornan the Jebusite. That threshing floor was a place where wheat would be threshed down. They would get that grain. And David sees that. And David goes up to that spot. And Ornan sees David coming. And, and David says, I want to buy this piece of property. And Ornan said, you can have it. I'm going to give you the property. I'm going to give you the oxen. I'm going to give you the tools for the sacrifices. But you know what David said? David said, I'm not going to offer the Lord anything that doesn't cost me something. And you know what this spot was? It was the same spot, according to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter number 3, that Solomon built the temple. But you know where it was at? It was in Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. That sound familiar? Genesis 22. And God told Abraham, take Isaac up onto the one of the tops of the mountains of Moriah, which I will tell thee of. You know what that was? It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place, watch it now, where a father and son had a connection. 
Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. 2 Samuel 24, David and Solomon. But those Bible commentators agree that it was in one of the mountains of Moriah where Gordon's Calvary was found. And there was another father and son relationship. And because of that relationship, we have the church tonight. Because when they thrust that spear in his side, out came blood and water. And just as God took a rib out of Adam's side to give him a bride, God opened up the side of Jesus and there came a bride known as the church. Husbands love you wives even as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for it. Thank God for that place that God chose to put his name. And it's all because of Calvary. The desire. He hath desired it for his habitation. If it ever dawns on us that God wants to meet with us more than we want to meet with him. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Bible said in John 4, 24, For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. I can't remember if I talked about, about that man. You ever you study that man such in the Bible? You ever studied him? 1 Corinthians 6, he got saved. Because John said, or Paul said, And such were some of you. And then God is seeking such to worship Him. I don't know about you, I won't be that man called such. I've been saved, but I won't be that man that God seeks. If God went looking for a church, would He stop by here? He said in that text, For God seeketh such to worship Him. Who's that such? Those that worship Him in spirit and in truth. That spirit is talking about the spirit-filled life and that truth is talking about the Word of God. So it's spiritual worship and it's scriptural worship. I want God to find us faithful in those categories. He seeketh such to worship Him. There's the duration. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell for I have desired it. We note the provision, verse 15 and 16. I'm a hushing. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priest with salvation. All in all, here's what God's saying. God's saying, I'm going to take care of my house. I understand it's talking about David's temple. I understand all that. But the application is God's going to take care of his people. God's going to take care of the church. Here's your New Testament verse. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. May I remind you that what he wasn't writing that to a crowd that bought lottery tickets and bought liquor and wasted all their money. But it was a church that had made sacrificial giving for the furtherance of the gospel. And Paul said, I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to take care of you. I don't care how big the need is. I don't care how bad it is. Church, we spent $6,000 in two days on a preacher's meeting and God is letting a little mission church, a Spanish-speaking church down in South Carolina, send some money to help pay for that meeting. I tell you, God's got money in places we don't know nothing about. God takes care of that. God meets His need. I'm telling you tonight, He's faithful and I bless His name for every time we've stepped out by faith. We've watched God meet the need. We've watched God answer the prayer. We've watched God open up the window of heaven and poured out blessings that we couldn't receive we couldn't explain it we couldn't figure it out I remember a few years ago we was going to re- we recover the parking lot and put the tar in all the cracks and all that about a $3,000 job and we didn't have much money at that time and I remember during that time somewhere along the way we got a check from a copy machine company somehow 
And I ain't going to. Somehow, some way, Miss Carolyn wasn't the treasurer then. Somehow, some way, we had overpaid the copy machine company $3,000 in the previous five years. And they sent a check for $3,000. And it paid for the parking lot. I can't figure that out. It doesn't even make sense. I'm like, let's not do that. That was cool. But let's not overpay again, all right? I don't think we overpaid. I think it's just God taking care of things. Taking care of things. We've had people get, get not here, but people that's come through here over the years get mad because we take on missionaries and because we try to be good to God's men when they come through. But I tell you, we, we're blessed more tonight than we've ever been. God's poured out more blessings on this place. You know why? Because when we seek God and when we honor God, God will bless us for it. We note, we note the praise in verse 16, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. Back in verse 9, you know, they said that's part of their prayer. Lord, he said, let the saints shout for joy. And God said, oh, they're going to. <laughs> he said, they will. They will. Then we note, lastly, the prophecy, verse 17 and 18. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame. But upon himself shall his crown flourish. Now we understand the primary interpretation. This is talking about Israel and most likely Solomon in his context. But it goes beyond Solomon. And here's how I know that. Verse 17, he said, I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. That little word anointed there is a Hebrew word Mashiach. And it's translated into our English word, Messiah. So I said, what's the big deal about Messiah? It's first cousin of the word Christ. <laughs> so he's not talking about Solomon here. He ain't talking about David here, but he's looking well down the line to Messiah coming. He said, I've ordained a lamp for mine anointed. And watch what's going to happen for that anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame. He said, they may get some, he's going to have enemies. They may prevail for a while, but they're going to be clothed with shame. But upon himself shall his crown flourish. You know what he done in those two verses? He went by Calvary. He went by the church age. And he's looking down that millennial reign. He said, I'm telling you, the world and the wicked might be having their fun now, but I'm telling there's a coming a day when he's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years. He's going to rule with the rod of Aaron. His crown will flourish. And you know where he's going to do it at? On that spot. David went down to Ornan, the Jebusite, at Temple Mount. He's going to sit on the throne of his father David right there for 1,000 years. So I said, how does that help me? Well, if you save, you're going to be there. And if you ain't, you ain't. But I want to encourage us tonight, and that's prophecy, and that's on down the road. But the application I want us to draw from this tonight is this text, this next generation remembered David's passion and love for God's house. They're singing this psalm on their way to worship. They're quoting this psalm on their way to worship God. And it reminded them of who God was, what God had done and the promises that he had made for a future generation. Thus tonight when we come to the house of God, we ought to remember what God has done for that previous generation. We ought to 
Ask Him to do some things in our generation. That's what they've done in those middle part of the psalm. But in the latter part, we ought to look ahead to what He's going to do. I'm glad to, I've been saying this last few weeks. We are not fighting to victory. We are fighting from victory. Somebody said, pray, pray we win the battle. Oh, we done won. We are more than conquerors. No, not we're going to be. Paul said we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Let's not walk around defeated tonight. Wednesday night, you've been out in the world working all week long, been beat down by the world. Get your head up. Lift up your head. You see the theme, the sense, word degrees? That's the whole theme for these psalms of degrees is lifting that head up, getting that head up. Why? Because I understand the context, but because our redemption draweth nigh. Paul said, I'm a looking. Where are you looking? What are you looking at, Paul? You looking around you? No. You looking behind you? No. He said, I'm a looking for that blessed hope. That's the rapture. And the glorious appearing. That's the revelation of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, that he might purify himself a peculiar people, pure, peculiar people, zealous of good works. May God help us when we come to the house of God to have the right perspective. Remember what he has done. Ask him to continue to do it and be, rest, be resting in the promise that what God's done before, he can do some more. Let's stand, please. I appreciate your attention. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Brother Matthew's going to come play a verse of invitation. Maybe you feel the need to come pray tonight if God's spoken to your heart.